This morning we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. I didn't have a sermon that lined up with where you uh, are at in your, in your sequence, so we're going to skip over uh, to Lord's Day 47. But before we do that, I want to uh, read from Scripture uh, from Matthew chapter 6. So the section in the Catechism that we'll be looking at uh, this morning deals with the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting when uh, the catechism was written, there was a, a lot of illiteracy around uh, Christian doctrine. And, and one of the things that the writers noticed was how people didn't understand uh, the Lord's Prayer and didn't understand what the petitions meant. So that's why this gets recorded for us and we can learn and, and, and grow from that. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 6. This is when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer uh, to his disciples. And we're just going to back up to verse 5. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, and we'll read to verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debt, us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So if you open up your book of um, Trinity Psalter to the very back, page 894, 894, you'll come to Lord's Day 47. Lord's Day 47. Do you, do you read it together here? Yeah? All right, perfect. So I'll, uh, I'll read the question, and then we'll read the answer together. So page 894, Lord's Day 47, question 122. So here's the question. What does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name may never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Well, it would be helpful if you kept that open in front of you as we work through uh, this, this uh, question and answer for the next 20 minutes or so. Well, dear congregation, uh, this morning we're studying... Uh, what is meant when we pray that first petition in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name? Or if you were like me and you grew up uh, with the Shakespeare version, hallowed be thy name. 
So hallowed be your name or hallowed be thy name. Now hallowed or hallowed, or, or hallowed is not a, a word we come across very often. It doesn't come up in our everyday conversations. Uh, when it's used as a noun, it usually refers to a person who has been venerated as a saint uh, by the Catholic Church. And that's actually where we get some of our history behind Halloween, uh, originally called All Hallows' Eve, which was an evening that uh, was to prepare for the commemoration of All Saints' Day, which is a, a holiday that's still celebrated, celebrated by some Christians uh, today. But also sometimes the word uh, can be used to describe a sacred object. If you ever read uh, the Harry Potter series or watched the movies, you probably come across the title, uh, The Deathly Hallows, and that describes these, these three sacred objects of death. But that's, that's not what Jesus is meaning here when he's using the word hallow. Uh, he uses it in a verb sense to mean to sanctify or to glorify. So I, ha- I have a couple different ways we can, we can render this. Our Father in heaven, let your name be known. Or let your name be kept holy in our lives. Or let your name be treated with reverence. And what you'll notice with with each one of those, it's that we're not making a, a declaration of God's holiness here. Uh, we're, not, we're not simply praying, uh, hallowed be your name. You are holy, holy, holy. Now, that's, that's a beautiful thing to pray, and that's a beautiful thing to sing, but that's, that's not exactly what is meant here. And we're also not praying that God's name uh, would become holy or become more holy. That's, that's not possible. We can't make God's name more holy. It's already perfectly and completely holy. So then what is, is being said here? Well, what's being said is, is a petition. And what in the world is a petition? Well, a petition is a request. And, and we understand this, right? When we come before God in prayer, we lay all these requests before God. But Jesus taught his disciples, and he's teaching us here this morning, that, that first things first, before we start laying out all other requests, before God, we're going to start with this request, that his name would be kept holy in our lives and that we would reflect his holiness out to the world. Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor uh, down in the States here. He wrote a book uh, of meditations on the catechism, and he explains how it's, it's very legitimate for us to have all these different petitions when we pray, and we know that, of course, but the overriding concern is for the fame of God's name, and so he, he summarizes this while well, he he doesn't summarize the petition. He, he extends it. This is how he, how he would pray this out. Our Father in heaven, the concern that's nearest to our hearts and the one that shapes all other requests is that your name would be regarded as holy and that your fame would be heralded in the earth and that you would be honored among the nations, that your glory would be magnified for all to see. O Lord, be pleased to cause men and women everywhere to take pleasure in you, that you might be praised now and forever. Well, that's a lot, so we're going to spend a little bit of time breaking that down, um, and we're going to look at it through this theme. First things first, hallowed be your name, and we're just going to look at two points. First, knowing God, and then reflecting God. So knowing God, and then reflecting God. Well, the Catechism explains, uh, it begins by explaining that, that hallowed be your name means, first things first, that your name, if hallowed be your name means that we are asking God that we would truly know him. Help us to truly know you. A while back, I was setting up a bank account for my daughter, um, who just made it, which is good. 
and um, uh, we were at the bank, and the bank manager uh, was trying to set up this account, but his computer kept freezing, and so he was getting very frustrated. I was, I had a lot of things that day, and I was getting frustrated, uh, but it was ironic because the week before, I was preaching a sermon on making the most of every opportunity to share the gospel, and so I'm like, well, I better practice what I preach. So he, he's staring at this computer screen, and he's frustrated, and I'm staring at it, and I'm frustrated, but I, I started asking him some questions about faith and, and religion and and what he believes about the afterlife. And it was interesting. He started explaining to me that uh, he believes that uh, there is a God. Uh, there's something out there. And he, he probably made a lot of what we see today. But the thing is, he's just, he's just unknowable. Like, we can't, we can't get to know him. He's out of our reach. And, and, and humans, we're just too puny and, and small to understand him. And he, he, he identified as an as a, as a agnostic. And maybe... You've had similar conversations before, or maybe you agree with that sentiment this morning, or maybe that's where you've come from. And so we're going to look at that for a minute. Is that true? Is, is God really unknowable? You know, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is a book of truth, and we can trust that everything that's written in the Bible is true, and it's from God. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul, he, he builds this argument that, that God's power and his divinity are clearly seen in creation around us. There's another confessional document uh, that you may have studied called the Belgian Confession, and it, it just starts in Article 2 with, with how God makes himself known, and, and it describes how there's two books that God has given us. first book is creation, and the second book is the Bible, his inspired word. And we, we get this, right? When we look around at the world around us, we, we see the power of a creator. We see an intelligent designer. I have written New Jersey as a, as a garden state. This was from last week when I preached it. But this is, uh, this, this city spending time here, spending time in, in Central Park, seeing, uh, the intelligent design of our God, it just screams, uh, that there must be a God behind all of this. But the big question is, does that mean that we can rightly know God by uh, walking through the hills of New Jersey or, or fishing uh, in the Hudson? Is that how we uh, get to know God? We certainly can see his creativity and his power, and we can believe that there is a God, but that's not how we come to know the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. We need more. Uh, we need to hear from God himself. And one of the beautiful things about uh, Christianity is that we, we don't worship a silent God or a God who's, who's kept himself hidden behind a veil or something like that. No, we worship a God who has revealed himself in power from the very beginning of time to the very end of time. We, he, used, he used prophets and kings and poets and leaders of God's people to reveal his holiness to us. And then it gets even better. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the incarnation the, the, the word made flesh. John 1 verse 14 uh, describes this. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible, it, it shows us many things about God. And it's through Jesus Christ that we most fully know God. And here's the thing. We're going to spend a few minutes on this. There's, there's a vital difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. What do I mean by that? 
Well, first I want to make it crystal clear that it's, that it's crucial, first of all, that we know about God. We, we can't worship a God uh, that we don't know. That seems pretty obvious, right? In, in his book, Knowing God, J.A. Packer writes, uh, Knowing about God is the most practical project that anyone can engage in. Knowing about God is, is crucially important for living our lives. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through this life, blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. And, and Packer, he didn't come up with this. He took it from a, a biblical precedent. Peter ends his second letter with this. Why don't you pull out your Bibles for a minute? Turn with me to the end of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, he's writing to Christians, and he ends his letter with this. Look at verse 17. We'll read the last two verses of Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And so Peter is telling Christians, study the Bible, learn the doctrines, uh, understand and, and know about God. You see, we, we need our Bibles to teach us about the character of God that we worship. A character that, that's not readily available when you just look at creation around us. The Bible shows us some of these wonderful perfections that you can read in answer number uh, 122 in the Catechism. And these are just the tip of, his, tip of the iceberg. When you read the Bible, you learn about his almighty power. You learn about his wisdom. You learn about his goodness, his righteousness, his mercy, and his truth. When we study our Bibles, God reveals these things to us. He enters into a relationship with us through the Son through the word, and allows us to know him more fully. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to just stop at that, to just stop at, at knowing about him. He doesn't want us to, to treat him like some sort of um, baseball card. I have a hockey card written here. That's the Canadian sermon. The baseball card is the American sermon. He doesn't want us to treat a, him like a, like a baseball card. We just learn the stats on the back, and, and then we're just content with that. No, it's, it's much more than that. And to rightly know God, it, it implies this, this intimacy. Yeah, I don't know how many of you study Hebrew. Probably, probably not a lot. That's okay, though. But there's this, this, this word in, in Hebrew called yada. It means to know. And it often expresses this, this deep knowledge of the other person. Uh, to know is to love. When you, when you love someone, you, you invest in knowing them. To know, biblically speaking, implies that there's this intimate, this loving relationship with God. And it's at this point, we, it's crucial that we understand that for us to rightly know God, to know his holiness, our eyes, they need to be opened by the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, just think of all the unbelieving scholars who know uh, the Bible. Some of them know the Bible even better than, than some of us. But they don't have a relationship with God. They don't know Jesus as their Savior. 
Or think of sometimes when you read the Bible and it just seems to bounce off you. It's only when, when God reveals himself, not only through his word, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we truly begin to know him. And, and this, this, this point, this is the point that Paul prays to the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you, which he has called you. To know the hope to which he has called you. See, it's only when our eyes are open do we see reality and do we see him for who he truly is. And so in, in a sense, the first petition of the Lord's prayer is that the spirit would help us to know God to see God, to have a a deep relationship with him as the son. See, this is is key because we can't approach church here, we can't approach uh, the Bible with this attitude of just knowing about God, but having no interest in in knowing him, in in growing in relationship and love for him. See, if if that's what we do, if we're just interested in in Bible trivia or or looking smart in front of other Christians or after a sermon saying, yeah, that really made me think. But never allow the gospel to penetrate our hearts and bring us to our knees in worship, then, then we're just wasting our time. And we're totally missing the point of this petition. See, we, we need head knowledge of God, and we need to grow in head knowledge, and that's totally true. But if, if the head knowledge never makes that 16-inch journey to the heart, then it's pointless. You see, no, only knowing about God is like knowing the stats on that baseball player's card, right? But what if, what if that, that baseball player was your dad or your best friend? Who would know him better? The person who just memorized the stats or the person who actually spent time with him? And this is the same for Christianity. There's, there's lots of people who call themselves Christians because they're content to know things about God, but they've never experienced the nearness of his presence, the comfort of his love, the encouragement of his spirit, and the warmth of his embrace. And to be honest, it's, it's often easy to spot the difference between people who simply know about God and people who actually know him. James Uh, The brother of Jesus hits this home in in this very scary and startling verse. James chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, Jesus, he, he frees us from sin so that we can know God intimately. Jesus taught his disciples, and he's teaching us to pray, hallowed be your name, so that we would experience God's almighty power, his wisdom, his kindness, his justice, his mercy, and his truth in our own lives. And when, when that happens, when we have eyes to see it, the catechism says what will pour out of us is, is, is praise and honor and glory for our God. This is the God that we worship. That's Psalm 115 starts in this beautiful way, and not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And so that's the calling of Christians. We're not called to steal God's glory. We're called uh, to reflect it. That's what we're going to briefly see in that second part of the catechism, if you look at it with me again. And it means, hallowed be your name, means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will not be blasphemed because of us, 
but always honored and praised. Some of you may be students of the Westminster Shorter Confession or Westminster Shorter Catechism. And maybe you heard of of that first uh, question and answer before, what is the chief end of man? Uh, what, What should be the first thing in your life? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you know, for some of you, it's, it's tough to know the purpose of your life. Uh, maybe you're retired and you don't know how you're going to fill your time anymore. Or maybe you, you just feel like you're in this dead-end job and, and your future just looks empty. Or maybe you can't work or, or you can't find work and that just leaves you feeling anxious or, or frustrated. Or maybe you just had this big change in your life and, and that's left you feeling aimless. Maybe you're young and, and you don't know what you want to be when you grow older. Well, there, there's comfort here for you. Your main job, your first job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to bring glory to God's name. No, no matter what you do, your main job is to shape your life in such a way that you bring honor and you bring praise to him. And so I'd like to offer you a challenge this week. When you open your eyes in the morning, before your legs swing uh, over, over the bed, pray this prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Use my life today to bring honor and praise to you. Use my life today to bring honor and praise to you. And that can be hard. It can be hard uh, to keep this as a first thing in our life. And so what do we do? What, where, where's the hope uh, here for us? How do we align our lives with this call to reflect the glory of God to other people? Well, maybe for, for some of you, I don't know you. But maybe for some of you, you need to take a good look at your life and you need to wrestle out if you actually know God. As in, uh, do you have a relationship with him that's beyond knowing facts about him? Because you, you can't reflect God if you don't know him. You can't reflect his love if you don't know it. You can't reflect his goodness if you don't know it. You can't reflect his mercy if you've never experienced it in your own life. And if, if that is you this morning, then I plead with you that you would turn and you would pray to God and say, hallowed be your name. Open my eyes so I, I can see you and know you and have a relationship with you because of Jesus Christ and what he's done and taking my sins on the cross. And if you do know him, and if you have a loving relationship with him, then you're called to reflect his glory. You're called to reflect the holiness of God so that others would see his glory and praise him as well. So that's a lot. I'm going to just recap it for a second here. What's happening? In teaching us to pray, hallowed be your name, Jesus wants us to put first things first in our life. The purpose of our lives is to know God for who he truly is. And it's only when we're doing this that we are able to live it out in the world. We're asking God that he would show his glory to our unbelieving neighbors and to our unbelieving family members, unbelieving friends. We're asking God that he would do this through us so that, so that maybe they would say, wow, what a God. He's unlike anything I've ever heard of before. Uh, his love is, is infinite. And his, and his grace is endless. And he is unlike anything I've ever heard or seen before. 
And maybe your neighbor will want to confess that Jesus is his own Savior, and you can help facilitate that. What a beautiful gift that would be. Well, let's pray this petition uh, back to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the concern that is nearest to our hearts and the one that shapes all other requests is that your name would be regarded as holy and that your fame would be heralded in the earth and that you would be honored among the nations and that your glory would be magnified for all to see. O Lord, be pleased to cause men and women everywhere to take pleasure in you that you might be praised now and forever. Use us, Lord, to magnify your name so that all might see that you are holy, holy, holy. It's in your glorious Son's name that we pray this. Amen.